0: Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the third day of February, now 2024. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and it was an interesting week. Most of the real news actually happened over the weekend or in the first few days, and then things kind of took a hold for a while, waiting to see exactly which would develop first, Civil War II or World War III or some combination. That could change suddenly, but for now at least, let's start off our look back from the beginning, and in particular with what I like to call Harbinger stories because so many of them basically indicate that something is up, as if that wasn't obvious already, and they give us a clue about the timing as well. But this one really tops the heap, because it reveals the intent of the bloodthirsty rhinos in the process. It took mere minutes, says Zero Hedge's summary, for the headlines to spread across the globe as the hawks and neocons called on the White House to, quote, hit hard. In reference to Iran and allegedly Iran-linked groups, believed responsible for the attack on a U.S. outpost along the border with Jordan, which killed three American troops and injured 25 more. And while that's a tragedy, folks, rest assured that the regime plans on there being a whole lot more than that before they get what they're after. Here is a partial summary of the congressional response by the rhinos and Warhawks, which are now, says the piece, as of Monday, essentially calling for a full-blown war against Iran. Gee, there's something new, isn't it? First, and this is one of the most stupid quotes I've seen in a while, from Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. Quote, the only answer to these attacks must be a devastating military retaliation against Iran's terrorist forces, both in Iran and across the Middle East. Listen to this. Anything less will confirm Joe Biden as a coward, unworthy of being commander in chief. Unquote. Where the hell have you been, you blithering idiot? He's not only a coward, he's senile, and he's been unworthy of being commander-in-chief since before his puppet master stole the election. And you're just now starting to figure that out? And this is the reason? I'm honestly not sure what's more idiotic, that statement or the fact that he must think people will believe it. There's more here in Zero Hedge's summary, but this will suffice. Quote, the Biden administration, sick, what a sold-out tool can take out all the Iranian proxies they like, but it will not deter Iranian aggression. I'm calling on the Biden regime, and yeah, I did change one word there, to strike targets of significance inside Iran, not only as reprisal for the killing of our forces, but as deterrence against future aggression. Hit Iran hard, hit them now, unquote. Says the swish from South Carolina that's trying hard to pretend to be as much of a testosterone-laced, macho, wussy warrior, and Dr. Strangelove caricature nuclear war addict as Nikki Newcomb Haley, Lindsey Graham. He's never seen a foreign policy failure he couldn't posture over, even though he's knee deep in it. Zero Hedge's story, striking at least a bit of a note of sanity, says the reality is that the years-long U.S. occupation of Syria, which happens to be largely located in the oil and gas-producing regions in the country, have left U.S. forces as sitting ducks, yet without any clear identifiable mission or goal. And the biden fuel regime knows this full well, having been quoted as saying the very same thing merely a week ago in the New York Times. And here we go. Quote, the latest attack on American troops in the region over the weekend resulted in no deaths. That was then. This is now. But the Biden and his advisors worry, now they're planning on it, folks, that it's only a matter of time. And sure enough, their hopes seem to have been rewarded. And listen to this from the rest of the quote. Whenever a report of a strike arrives at the White Whorehouse Situation Room, officials wonder whether this will be the one that forces a more decisive retaliation and results in a broader regional war, and yeah, did they get it this time? They're certainly jonesing for it. And three dead American soldiers is just the opening ante. And you know what else? It seems to have taken the focus off the other Americans that are getting killed and raped and robbed and having their farms and ranches and lives destroyed every single day by the tens of thousands per week that are coming across the open southern border in that invasion. And what do you bet? A lot of them aren't just communist Chinese, but probably Iranians too. After all, they'd be fools if they weren't taking advantage of it, don't you know? And the reason there haven't been any American troops killed there is because none are deployed along the border to defend this country. What an amazing uh, not coincidence. Item. This is another headline that is clearly a sign of the times, almost a throwaway. And I saw it when I was looking for something else, but let's go with it briefly anyway, for comic relief, if nothing else. Jill Biden, the defender of the senile one, takes on Trump, says the headline. First lady, sick, accuses Donald of doing everything he can to make Joe look bad. <laughs> you gotta ask, does the senile double diaper traitor need any real help to do that? Some would argue with no shortage of evidence that it's about the only thing he's even remotely any good at. But anyway, Jill claims he, meaning Trump, wants to tank the border deal in Congress to give Trump a better chance in 2024. I bet she already knows they're not planning on having that election anyway. But still, tank the border deal for political gain? Give me a break. These people have a full-scale invasion in progress, and they're intent on destroying the entire country, and that's the best she can do? Does anybody even really need to say anything about that? The border deal in Congress. You mean the whoring traitorous sellout, and the biden pure would sign it? That probably is enough said. Although you could add that since Chucky e. Schumer is furret it and it's bipartisan to boot, it's arguably synonymous with traitorous. And if the communists in Congress and the White Whorehouse are actually really still worried about Russia, 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 they should be paying attention to this story. From Newsweek over the weekend, Dmitry Medvedev, former Russian president and ally of the current president and foe of the Biden regime's America, Vladimir Putin, made an ominous comment on Friday, it says, about Texas potentially starting, or would it be the other team, a new civil war in the United States. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, it says, has been in multiple legal battles with the Department of Just Us over his at least alleged attempts to thwart their invasion of the United States. And as the U.S. faces the oh-so-well-planned surge in illegal border crossings, Abbott has tried, they say, to fend off the migrants using razor wire along parts of the southern border and a circular soft floating barrier in the Rio Grande. Tactics which the regime has called dangerous and cruel. Because you should be giving them all the goodies we promised instead that Americans soon won't be allowed to have. Now, I'm going to read this next quote directly from Newsweek because, folks, it is a bald-faced lie. You'll recognize that part easily. Medvedev, it says, who currently serves as deputy chair of Russia's Security Council, released a lengthy statement on X, formerly known as Twitter, on Friday, reiterating his past prediction that Texas would secede from the rest of the U.S. And here you go. Something that, quote, the state has no legal ability to do. Unquote. Even though their state constitution accepted at their entry into these United States explicitly says they do, how's that for a whopper Newsweek? And they add it could potentially kickstart a civil war, as if a deliberate invasion somehow didn't have anything to do with it. Here's what Medvedev said, quote, there are known cases in history when some states tried to break away from the Union and form the Confederacy, he said. The end result was the bloody Civil War, which cost thousands upon thousands their lives. Either way, America can face an unsolvable constitutional crisis and for long fall into the abyss of a new, possibly even more destructive civil confrontation. And the Western world, he continued, its breath held, will be staring at the American mess in fear. Well, it's their problem anyway, unquote. Said a spokesperson for the State Department, quote, this is standard Kremlin nonsense, unquote. And, of course, that is standard swamp nonsense. Item, well, one of the worst traders in Congress, again, stepped in it over the weekend. Representative from Somalia, and pretty much no place else unless you count Somaliland in Minnesota, Ilhan Omar, gave a speech that's gone viral with the English subtitles. With the result that even more people than before are beginning to call for her to be expelled from the House of, well, representatives certainly doesn't apply, from the House of Communists, says Kristen Taylor-Summer for the Gateway Pundit, the Somali refugee... Communist from Minnesota, Ilhan Omar, gave a speech to the Somali community in Minnesota on Saturday that's gone viral thanks to the English translation subtitles, and in some cases from those who speak Somali and are also indicating, uh, yeah, there's more here than meets the eye. The translations have Omar saying she and her fellow Somalis are Somali first, Muslim second, and no particular mention of being American, because as she put it, the U.S. government will do what we tell it to do. We should have that confidence as Somalis, she said. We live in this country. We pay its taxes. It's the country where your own daughter is a congresswoman, and as long as I'm in Congress, others will not take Somalia's territorial waters, and the U.S. government will not support others to take what's ours, unquote. But as a communist, folks, we already know she will take what's yours. But don't worry, she said, to those whom she does claim she represents... You got your lady in the Congress. And as I've already mentioned, there was lots of comment from Somaliland, including the Foreign Ministry, which said, quote, We were profoundly surprised, even shocked, on discovering the remarks made by Congresswoman, sick, Ilan Omar, D, Minnesota, in a recent public forum, widely circulated on most social media platforms and attached below for your reference. The language she employed, they said, was regrettably unbecoming of both the office she holds and the constituents she represents. Her expressions were lacking in common decency and revealed A significant lack of understanding of basic facts. Specifically troubling, said the foreign ministry, were her endeavors to revive the once violent and dangerous ideology of greater Somalia or Somali Wayne, which caused so much death, destruction and conflict in the Horn of Africa. Furthermore, they said her use of ethno-racist rhetoric didn't escape attention and left many with a deep sense of disappointment. And after a bunch more, they concluded by saying, we hope the House leadership and her caucus will take note of her public conduct, unbecoming a United States congresswoman nor representative of the august House she serves in, unquote. And at least, folks, it's kind of refreshing to see Somaliland come out and say she isn't even one of us. Meanwhile, others are asking what's taking Mike Johnson so long, because after all, George Santos was expelled from Congress for far less. But I guess it's fair to remember they've still got multiple traitors to deal with, like Mayorkas and Biden first, and multiple wars to foment, too. And while all that's going on in Oklahoma, a few state representatives are beginning to recognize why it was that the 17th Amendment was such a constitution-wrecking disaster because it stripped the states of their constitutional powers in Congress via what's been called the direct election of senators. So now the best they can do is this. As Jack Phillips reports via the Epoch Times, Oklahoma Republicans on January 27th censured their senator, sick, James Lankford of Oklahoma, for leading the negotiations, i.e. the sellout with Senate communists on a bipartisan, which means, yeah, exactly that, border security bill, which is absolutely the opposite of that, that's largely been rejected by anything except rhinos in the House. So the Oklahoma GOP resolution, Mr. Lankford needs to, quote, cease and desist jeopardizing the security and liberty of the people of Oklahoma and of these United States, unquote, with the measure. And they added until Senator Lankford ceases from these actions, the Oklahoma Republican Party will cease all support for him, unquote. Isn't that interesting? And see, folks, a century ago, they could have simply said, you're out of there brought him home and replaced him with somebody who will do what he should be doing. Now they have to settle for saying Lankford is playing fast and loose with Democrats on our border policy, and it not only disenfranchises legal immigrants seeking citizenship, but it also puts the safety and security of Americans in great danger. Basically, folks, and some Republicans are at least coming right out and saying this, and blocking it for this reason, the bill legitimizes the treason already in progress. And again, the fact that the Biden Fuhrer, or his puppet masters at least, say that he'll sign it tells you all you really need to know about it. Next, three more Sign of the Time stories, all from the World War III front, or at least closely related, and all courtesy of Hal Turner's radio show. The first one, citing a draft document from the Defense Ministry of Germany, says that Germans will be expected to turn their homes into bomb shelters if the Biden Fuhrer and NATO get their way and a major war breaks out or continues to break out. I guess expands beyond the current borders, anyway, in Europe, according to the Bild newspaper on Saturday. The ministry, it said, is set to complete its work on a classified operational plan, or OP plan, by April. And the draft envisions Germany as a transit country crucial for the delivery of weapons and equipment to the new front of World War III, rather than a state with an active front line. So for that reason, it says, soldiers would be tasked with securing key highways, railway stations, and ports. While civilians would be expected to step in and cover some of the duties typically assigned to the military and police, like protection of power plants, which probably won't have any natural gas by that point anyway. And since there are only 579 functional bomb shelters in Germany, probably less than that, folks, in the entire United States, not counting those outside of Big Brother, the plan reportedly sees citizens having to set up their own shelters in places like basements and garages because building new ones is, quote, no longer feasible due to time constraints. (laughs) we got a war, we got to foment, and fast. Item the second. As of 8 p.m. Eastern time Sunday night, the United States, or what's left of it, has sorted six KC-135 strato tankers for mid-air refueling operations to the United Kingdom, where they're expected to then deploy onto the World War III front in the Middle East. Even though the United States is already reported to have a significant number of those strato tanker assets already deployed to the World War III front there. And there are suggestions, folks, can you imagine this, that it just might be related to the desire of so many U.S. politicians to bomb, 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 Iran. Finally then, the third story in the set, and the real front in the war, economic and, of course, communist China, where the second largest real estate developer in that country Ever heard this name? Evergrande has been ordered to forcibly liquidate themselves by a bankruptcy court in Hong Kong, which will likely, says Hal Turner's coverage, trigger a crash and affect global markets. Gee, do you think? Perhaps even worse than the COVID-1984 pandemic, because Evergrande still owes nearly $340 billion to creditors. Immediate action, says the story. The court appoints an official liquidator who takes control. Trading on the Evergrande stocks will be suspended again, and bank accounts will be immediately frozen, after which the liquidation process will be required to certify all assets and liabilities. Creditors will then submit their claims and be ranked. Uh, what do you want to bet it will be according to their legal status with communist China? And then, uh, well, I guess summarizing the rest of this, something begins to hit the fan. As Hal Turner says, the court ruled in favor of a liquidation. The effects of $300-plus billion of debt officially going poof probably will leave a mark. And where else next but on to Bond villains. And when it comes to the top of that heap, yeah, look no further than the evil George Soros or his uh, equally evil heirs. He's striking again, though, says a piece courtesy of the Gateway Pundit, originally from Joe Sanders at the Western Journal. The progressive billionaire who just poured a fortune into electing prosecutors sick who have destroyed the criminal justice systems all across the United States is now turning his attention to where else? Texas and the invasion there and the plans to foment a civil war, according to Fox News. And the first Mexican-born woman to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives has a warning about why Soros just might be doing it, as if we didn't already have a pretty good idea. Observing that the Biden Fuhrer's open border policy failure has failed to win over Hispanic voters, reflected in his dismal polling numbers, Soros is now pouring additional millions into a state that Democrats would like to see flip to their control before it does something really radical like seceding and showing people that uh, there is an alternative to what's being done to them, whether they like it or not. Quote They're seeing that Hispanics are shifting towards the Republican Party because they're realizing that we are the party of prosperity and that we want to build a strong economy, she says, that we want to secure the border, that we plan to prioritize the people of this country, and not prioritize people from outside of the country. This from Representative Myra Flores to Fox, and she said, I believe it's our policies that are winning people over, and the struggle is real. Soros and the Democratic Party are seeing people like myself that resonate with the Hispanic community, she said. resonate with me and i resonate with them we have similar stories i'm bilingual i speak spanish and english we have similar stories and we share that bond and that is a bond that democrats she said simply can't afford to see building and a leftist billionaire like soros certainly seems to want to do something about it according to fox soros has pumped over 3 million bucks into the lone star state over the past year with money going to at least five far left groups and the time and place are critical because as you probably are aware Given the border invasion, Texas has emerged as a symbol of resistance by those who don't want to see the United States complete the total destruction and meltdown. Now, let me add one more observation here, folks. I've mentioned this before, but it certainly bears repeating. Soros doesn't actually have to win or even influence a majority of Hispanic voters, or for that matter, any other voters. All they really need to do is establish a plausible rationale for what they intend to have happen, and that's to steal the election and the state, and then silence any opposition to the point where, well, you won't be able to prove otherwise, and you certainly won't be able to talk about it. So what difference does it make whether they really won the election, rigged it, or just got away with it? Regardless, though, this part is clear. What with the wealthy state having 40 votes in the Electoral College, it's a target for influential mega-wealthy leftist communists like Soros and anybody else that wants to tow the DEI, go-along-to-get-along Communist Party line. And Representative Flores is a particularly interesting example. She made history and made leftists uncomfortable when she won her seat as a Republican in a, quote, traditionally Democrat district in a special election come June 2022. But guess what? They stole it back in November amid what the sellout pundits call a generally disappointing midterm election for Republicans overall. And yeah, folks, the fact that you're not allowed to talk about what almost certainly happened is indicative. I want to read the last couple of paragraphs of this story to buttress that point. Representative Flores is warning that Soros and his minions are trying to make a different kind of history in Texas now, targeting money to the state's leftist groups to keep a growing Hispanic disgust with Biden's ridiculous, treasonous border policies from setting in for the long haul. And as the author says, Democrats have taken advantage of knee-jerk loyalty from black voters to maintain their power for decades. Now, right there, folks, is where I want to pause, because certainly what we've seen is that that is not so much true among black voters anymore. After all, President Trump actually set new records in so many states for support from black voters. And you know that's something the leftist press really doesn't want to talk about for a number of obvious reasons, especially if it really has changed and you want to keep rigging elections the same way people are used to. Back to that phrase, knee-jerk loyalty from black voters, whether it's true or not. Now they're trying to cement the same kind of psychology of servitude among Hispanics, too, and use it to turn the country's second most populous state, right, Joe Saunders, into the same kind of lawless, leftist dumping ground that they've already made of the first most populous state. Yeah, folks, California is pretty much a basket case at this point. Next today, I want to spend a few minutes on a piece by Brandon Smith and his altmarket.us site, that addresses yet another of those so-called conspiracy theories that you simply aren't allowed to talk about by the way stream, which tells you they already know it's true, and how dare you even be allowed to admit it. His title says the word right out loud, Cultural Replacement, or maybe you've heard the term Replacement Migration, and Why the Immigration Crisis, sick, is Being Deliberately Engineered. And he begins that there's absolutely no doubt, you know it, elements of what were once at least called our own government are deliberately encouraging the acceleration of illegal immigration across the southern border. And they're actively sabotaging any attempts to stop not just the madness, but the outright invasion. So there are two questions we ought to ask. Why are they doing this and what can be done to stop them? Furthermore, anybody that still believes the biden fuhrer wants a secure border, uh really, folks? Need look no further than the idiocy out of the traitors Supreme Court last week. Enough said on that score. But that idiocy forced Texas Governor Abbott, suggests Brandon Smith, to declare the situation an invasion that threatens the security of his state and, of course, America at large, leading to a showdown between federal agencies and Texas. And, says Smith, I would argue this is a showdown that needs to happen, and the sooner the better. Now, at this point, folks, a very quick aside. There are a number of people, and your host is at least willing to entertain the possibility, who suggest that Texas Governor Greg Abbott isn't really sincere, and he might even be complicit in a setup to foment a civil war there. Certainly, it's a real possibility. But I have to ask, does it really matter? If they do a good job of it, you're going to have a heck of a time proving it. If you can't even prove that a rigged election that was so obviously rigged is the case, how much more so this planned civil war But Smith short-circuits that with an excellent point. If it's inevitable, why not just get on with it? Because the invasion is already destroying the country, and will either way. Notes Brandon Smith, the expulsion of destructive groups of people has been an emergency measure used by civilizations for thousands of years, because cultures that don't protect their own gates end up being either erased or absorbed into something completely different that probably won't hold the same values. And as a result, almost every nation on the planet today has strict immigration rules, except America and the EU are being attacked for wanting to limit the flow of culture-destroying illegals and invaders. And just how bad is it? Well, in spite of lies from the Ministries of Truth and Hollywood, but maybe we repeat ourselves, the Biden Fuhrer has been the overseer of the largest spike in illegal invasion in U.S. history with over 300,000 border violations in December alone that we know of. And to put this in perspective, that's the equivalent of a city the size of Pittsburgh moving across the U.S. border and demanding welfare subsidies, housing, jobs, free food, free cell phone service, you name it, each and every single month. And I'll skip over the other sordid details, like airport takeovers, because they're coming to a theater near you anyway. And get to the Cloward-Piven strategy, which you've probably heard of. It's not difficult to understand. And the idea is to create social destabilization by overloading and then destroying the very socialist welfare system that was set up to promote it. But that's almost too simplistic. There are a few ways this strategy could open the door, says Smith, to authoritarianism, as intended, you can't help but think, in the U.S. Starting with a late 60s plan called Operation Garden Plot, which envisioned a martial law response to large Scale social breakdown. And one of the main factors listed as a trigger for martial law was the uncontrolled mass migration of minorities into and around the U.S., as well as riots by those same people in the light of economic uncertainty. Who could have thought it? Come to think of it, who says Big Brother can't follow through long term on a plan? We'll be right back after this. Counting on you And I'd rather Die on my feet Than live on my knees There's no point to the second segment of the show for this evening. I'm your host, Mark Call, and this week has certainly been a bit different. A week where the major events might be called Signs of the Times, or Harbingers, and things that seem to be on hold awaiting major developments, whether it's an escalation in World War III, courtesy of the biden fuhrers Puppet Masters, and the invasion still in progress at the southern border. Nothing really has changed, although the move towards Civil War has certainly kicked it up a couple of notches. But still, no Fort Sumter moment yet. And I guess it's fair to say it's entirely likely we might see big moves on both of those fronts as soon as the press goes home for the weekend come Saturday. And after looking back at the week, I couldn't help but think that I want to start things off with two stories, but both of them normally wouldn't be the kind of thing I would do here on radio because they involve photographs. Which of course I can't show you, but I guess I can describe. Because in this case, both of them are so relatively clear, and I think they come across pretty well anyway, so I'm gonna go ahead and do just that. The first comes courtesy of the Whorehouse, I'm sorry, the White House, where the Situation Room was hot to trot last night, and some flunky decided it was actually a good idea to release this photograph of the senile marionette posed in front of the public puppeteers. But are you ready for this? And just about everybody who's seen it immediately notices the problem. Unlike every single administration in at least the last 40 years, which took photos of the Commander-in-Chief with his staff in the Situation Room, where the military heads and Cabinet Chiefs all have their nameplates sitting directly in front of them, there was a big difference this time around. They rotated them 90 degrees so that the crash test dummy sitting at the end of the table wouldn't forget who they were. And that includes the VP, Ho-Ho-Ho Harris, seated immediately to his sippy cup side. Don't you just know that America's enemies are laughing their you-know-what's off? America's pushing hard for World War III, and when it comes to leadership, there's literally nobody home. The second photo is almost as disgusting, but for a whole different reason, and it's certainly getting more attention because it just happened to be posted in the transportation sexual abuse line at Miami International Airport, where New York Post reporter and commentator Dave Rubin noticed earlier this month while traveling from there a damning sign that he said proves the Biden-fuel regime is letting illegal aliens board flights without any form of acceptable identification, you know, the kind of thing that you peons must have or else you don't get to fly, even if you are willing to have your gonads and breasts groped. And come to think of it, even if you pay for it, they don't have to. Just snap this pic, he says in the tweet. This is a state of absolute insanity happening now at our airports. I'm in the pre-TSA line where migrants don't actually have to have an ID to get through security, and it's their own choice whether or not they want their picture even taken. There is a plan, he says, and this is pretty much obvious, has been, folks, to destroy America. The sign says that transportation sexual abuse is working with Customs and Border Protection, SIC, to, quote, validate adult non-U.S. citizen travel documentation when the traveler doesn't otherwise have an acceptable form of identification. All you have to do, it says, just notify the TSC officer that you are a migrant. And he might or might not take a photo. That's optional, based on your choice, of course, because you're above the law. And if requested, you might choose to provide your alien identification number or biographic information. But don't worry. What do you bet they've been quietly instructed not to request such? But do follow officer instructions because you're going to get special treatment. By the way, one wag asked, "Did he have a special line for suicide bombers, too? This next item is another one of those, on the one hand, better late than never stories, and on the other hand, an example of just how deep this rabbit hole goes and how much of an effort there's been to cover up things that, well, are intended, as we've noted, to kill as many people as possible. This comes from Slay News and Frank Bergman about a CDC cover-up. What, yet another one? This time, a vax-induced heart damage as a result of the Zyklon B injection. The story says the U.S. Centers for Death and Control, by whatever acronym you prefer, chose to cover up evidence that COVID mRNA vaccines, sick, caused heart damage in order to avoid what they called public panic, says a newly leaked bombshell email. Now, quick aside here, folks, what do you think that really means, public panic? Let's see, the CDC realizes, hmm, the public is going to figure out that we have killed them. Many of them are already dead, others are dead men walking, and guess who's really panicking? Officials became aware that the injections were causing potentially deadly myocarditis. We've known about this for a long time. You'd have thought the CDC either knew or should have known, and it turns out they did. But CDC officials chose not to alert the public. Gee, there's a shocker. Even though the result of myocarditis can be to reduce the heart's ability to pump blood and lead to things like cardiac arrest, stroke, blood clots, and death. But isn't that the real goal anyway? The disturbing cover-up says the piece was exposed in an email obtained by the Epoch Times. And despite being made aware of the issue, officials in the biden fuhrer Top Health Agency continued to push the shots onto an ignorant and dumbed-down public. In 2021, The biden cure CDC drafted an alert after discovering, or at least claiming that they just discovered, that the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna COVID-19 mRNA not vaccines were, in fact causing myocarditis, and officials prepared to release it to the public as part of an emergency alert, but internal documents show that officials took steps to avoid that, including having then-agency director Rochelle Walensky review the language. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. The alert should have been sent through the CDC's HAN, or Health Alert System Network, which goes to state and local officials as well as doctors across the country. But you know what happened, don't you? Yeah, nothing. The alert was never sent. And in the leaked May 25 of 2021 email, a CDC official revealed why some officials were against sending the alert, as if we couldn't guess. Said Dr. Sarah Oliver in the missive: the pros and cons of an official hand are what the main discussion are right now. I think it's likely to be a hand since that is the CDC's primary method of communications to clinicians and public health departments. But people don't want to appear alarmist either, unquote. No, not especially if they're dropping dead and you recognize that the fault lies with the persons in the mirror. Dr. Oliver, it says, was corresponding with an employee of either one of the two death agencies, Pfizer or Moderna, but the employee's name and email were redacted, in the copy eventually obtained by the Epoch Times. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, top Republican on the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee's permanent subcommittee on investigations, blasted the Center for Death and Control over the discovery, saying that the CDC's apparent decision to not immediately issue a formal alert to clinicians, warning them about the increased risk of myocarditis and pericarditis in vaccinated individuals is not only inexcusable, it's malpractice. Unquote. And he added that CDC should never prioritize its own public perception over the public's health, and of course, that, folks, is the reason they seem to exist lately, or worse. And he said those who made the decision to do so must be held fully accountable. Unquote. And yeah, you can say it along with me if you'd like, folks. Do not hold your breath for that. I've seen a number of stories of late indicating the degree of shedding, as it's been called, that might be associated with the vaccinated people and even those that are sometimes associated with vaccinated people to the unvaccinated. And with that in mind, I want to spend a few minutes looking at a post from an unnamed Midwestern doctor courtesy of the Burning Platform, entitled What We've Learned from Hundreds of Vaccine Shedding Reports. As to why this fellow would remain anonymous, well, I think you can guess. It says this, after the COVID-19 not vaccines, and your host had to put that word in there, I'll do it occasionally as we go through this, hit the market, stories began to emerge of unvaccinated individuals becoming ill after being in proximity to recently vaccinated individuals. That confused many because, in theory, or so we're told, the mRNA technology should not be able to shed, and that too is a technical word. We'll come back to it as well. At this point, says the doctor, we believe this is a real phenomenon because we have seen numerous patient cases which can only be explained by mRNA shedding. But since some of the most frequent questions about shedding include things like how much do I need to consider mRNA shedding when I'm dating, uh, is vaccinated blood safe? And that's a biggie. How about this one? How do I protect myself from shedding? Hint, a cloth face diaper, folks, probably ain't going to get it. And what are the potential mechanisms that could explain how shedding is even possible? So in the article, says the author, we'll present as much as we currently know about shedding, i.e. evidence for it, who tends to shed, who is affected, and what the symptoms typically are, including what might be done about it. And he starts off the main text by noting that when doctors in this movement, he says, speak at events about vaccines, by far the most common question is Is vaccine shedding real? Which is understandable because COVID vaccine shedding, i.e. the idea of becoming ill from being in proximity to vaccinated individuals, represents the one way that the unvaccinated are also at risk from what your host refers to as the Zyklon B bioweapon. And therefore, they still need to be directly concerned about them. And simultaneously, says the doc, this is a difficult question to answer for a number of key reasons. First and foremost, we believe it's critical not to publicly espouse what he called divisive ideas, i.e. the concept of pure bloods who haven't been Zyklon B injected versus those who were, that might prevent the public from coming together and helping everyone. The vaccines, he said, were marketed on the base of such division, i.e. by encouraging immense discrimination against the unvaccinated and calling it immense discrimination, Folks, is arguably an understatement. You weren't allowed to go anywhere, do a whole lot of things, and if Big Brother had kept getting their way, you probably wouldn't be allowed to do anything, including feed your family or eat. And of course, your host is kind of concerned because a lot of pilots that lost their jobs have been replaced by people who are arguably medically unfit to fly, and thus demonstrably at risk of killing huge numbers of individuals, both in flight and on the ground, among other things. So this is a really big deal, and this is probably the main place where I might just disagree a bit with the doctor there comes a point at which you just plain need to tell the truth and feelings be damned. Because unlike climate change, where the science is utterly bogus, and unlike the Zyklon B, where they just plain lied about it, this is one of those places where, yeah, the evidence, the data, and ultimately what will turn out to be the real science will make the point. It's the bottom-paid-for whore science that's killing people. And therein lies the rub, because it turns out it's also the plan. Well, still, admits the doctor, it's true that unvaccinated individuals thus understandably hold a lot of resentment for how the vaccinated and those who were pushing it treated them. And he said, we don't want to perpetuate anything similar, i.e. discrimination in the other direction. And we don't want to create any more unnecessary fear, which is perhaps an inevitable consequence of opening up a conversation about shedding. And you know what I got to say to that, folks? Tough. It's about time, whether you like it or not. But yeah, disclaimer noted. So let's talk actual facts for a while. Having looked into this extensively, says the doctor, and with all of that being said, I am relatively sure of the following. Number one, shedding is very real. Number two, people's sensitivity to it varies greatly. Number three, most of the people who are highly sensitive to shedding have already figured that out. So if you don't already believe that it's an issue for you, you probably don't have to worry too much about it. Now, quick aside here that I have to add. Remember, folks, this is just the first in a series of what are almost certain to be mandated mRNA um, products. The fact that you haven't seen a problem yet doesn't mean they don't intend for you to find out the hard way later. And they're already working hard to try to put it into lots of things that aren't walking talking human guinea pigs and petri dishes from pigs to lettuce. So beware. Number three, there is still no agreed upon mechanism to explain why and how it happens. Now, he starts off with what he calls the mechanistic trap, described in previous articles, and ultimately, since a lot of this is uh, now revealed to be BS, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but still, he says, this is the habitual tendency of what is sometimes called science to reject observations that have no mechanism that science would like to let you know about to explain what's clearly happening. I argued, says the author, this was problematic as it results in many critically important observations simply being dismissed because their mechanism lies outside existing scientific paradigm. And one of the most common ways this happens is for logical arguments to be put together which assert that what you're seeing just plain can't be real. So, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. In some cases, the logic might be compelling, while in others, it's just plain ridiculous. For example, since the mRNA not-vaccines were an experimental gene therapy, one of the immediate fears that people had about them, and this includes the author, he says, was that they would permanently alter your DNA. So, guess what? There were a whole lot of pseudoscience articles written that ridiculed the notion. And uh, I'm going to skip over a lot of this because we've ridiculed it for as long as it's been going on. But they include pronouncements by the famed American Dr. Mengele, Tony Fauci, and other scumbags like Paul Offit. The problem is, on the surface, the refutation here is uh, kind of transparent because in reality, each of the premises that they were based on are either false or highly misleading because once you realize the mRNA was designed to resist being broken down so that it could remain active for a prolonged period and enter the very cell nucleus that it intends to reprogram the DNA for, there go some of the arguments about how it lasts long enough to be shed anyway. Conversely, says the author, and this is a key point, folks, since assessing genetic toxicity was both a pivotal requirement for new pharmaceutical products and it was easy to predict that genetic toxicity would be one of the top concerns with the mRNA vaccines, there was no possible way, and I think this is a really compelling point, no possible way that it wasn't tested for by both Pfizer and Moderna and arguably any real regulators that were concerned about actually keeping people safe from it. At the very start of the program, years before the public ever even heard about COVID-19 or the booga booga Fauci flu or any of this other stuff. Oh, yeah, and your host can't help but say, guess why? And in hindsight, isn't it suddenly obvious why they wanted to hide all of that data for 75 years or as long as they could get away with? Said the author correctly, in all the articles refuting the DNA alteration hypothesis, none of that data was ever shared. And instead, we simply received what they called logical arguments with no actual data behind them. And there's a note here from later on. Leaked EMA documents likewise revealed that for some reason, the drug regulators were not provided with any genotoxicity data by Pfizer. But in my eyes, continues the author, the suggested DNA alteration has been found and Pfizer decided that its best option was to simply avoid mentioning that data while simultaneously claiming, have we heard this before, there is no evidence of, well, fill in the blank. That would include DNA alteration, which he notes is a common tactic the industry uses to bury real science that threatens its bottom line. In turn, he says, I can't say I was particularly surprised when independent research conducted long after the vaccine hit the market discovered that the vaccine indeed can change the DNA of a cell, unquote, and I would say, duh, and yeah. As intended. They even called it an operating system that was being injected to do precisely that. In a recent article, says the author, an additional note, I noticed how no one has been willing to make the raw data from the health outcomes and those who were vaccinated available. While a lot of excuses have been made for why this hasn't happened, like many, I believe the actual reason is because that data shows the vaccines are very dangerous and were to be made available. It would be clear that the vaccines are and remain very dangerous. In fact, It might even show that they were intended to be a mass weapon of genocide, as uh, I will suggest and have for a while. The data makes undeniably clear on into the crux of the matter is shedding possible. There are a few major points, he said, that argue against it being possible, like the design of the mRNA vaccines. Lipid nanoparticles containing mRNA were injected into the body, after which they made their way into cells, causing the cells to begin producing vaccine spike protein for an unspecified period of time. And because of this, he says, there were relatively few options of what could be shed. For example, while it's unlikely the lipid nanoparticles or the mRNA contained could be transmitted from the vaccinated individuals to their environment, there's just not enough of it. Although, he notes, parenthetically, some people in this movement believe that there are consequential unlisted contaminants, and there's a lot of evidence on that score, and that even seems to vary by batch. Anyway, these additional things may be present in the vaccine. In other words, whether we're talking about vaccine lots or people, it's very possible some are more likely to shed than others. But otherwise, he said, that leaves the primary remaining option, that it's the spike protein itself being produced by the vaccine in the bodies of those who took it that was the agent that shed because, after all, the body begins to produce these things in mass. What's it going to do? Yeah, you can probably guess. Spike shedding, though, didn't make too much sense because of the concentrations of spike proteins, which do get broken down in the environment. And the claim is that typically shedding occurs because an individual sheds a self-replicating form of the disease. The spike proteins may not do that or, hmm, well, I guess we'll come back to that. Still, he says, we had this problem. Since I was among many of those seeing numerous clear-cut cases of... Of shedding actually occurring, it suggested to me that we're all missing a big part of the puzzle, which once known, invalidated a lot of the above logic. Conversely, I couldn't help but notice that Pfizer's testing protocol for the vaccine seemed to deliberately acknowledge that this is what they were looking for. For example, he spends a lot of time talking about how they prohibited, at least up front, pregnant women or those that were breastfeeding from receiving the vaccine or boosters. Well, that didn't last too long, as you probably were aware, and as a result, we've seen huge numbers of problems among babies fed with their mother's breast milk, not to mention miscarriages and spontaneous abortions. One thing is clear and curious, notes the author, the package insert for Pfizer's vaccine doesn't mention shedding at all, despite the fact that it's long since been proven. And in short, like the issue of cancer, which also seems to have been proven, I suspect that Pfizer had data that was concerning to them on the shedding issue, but opted not to disclose it so they could claim, say it with me, folks, there is no evidence of shedding. Well, at least none that will admit, certainly none that you're going to be allowed to see. So what is known about shedding? While I've seen many anecdotal cases, he says, suggesting the shedding is real, the strongest proof of shedding comes from observations by doctors Pierre Corey and Scott Marsland at their clinical practice dedicated to treating vaccine injuries, which places them in a unique position to observe and evaluate the phenomenon. They have seen more than 20 patients develop similar syndromes after a shedding exposure, particularly after a strong shedding exposure, and individuals appear to either develop only one or two of the characteristic symptoms or they develop a large cluster of them. They have also found that those symptoms resemble what's seen in other spike protein pathologies, i.e. either long COVID or mRNA vaccine injury. They've also found that these symptoms often respond to the very same treatments used for treating other spike protein pathologies, notably ivermectin itself. And Dr. Pierre Corey wrote a book on this, which binds the spike protein. They've also found many patients will repeatedly have shedding symptoms emerge after the same exposure. In other words, sometimes a wife will always feel ill when her vaccinated husband returns from a long trip or when going to church each week or singing with the choir or taking a crowded route like on a train or bus to work. Not surprisingly, they found that the suspected shudder often tests high for spike protein levels and that eliminating the shedder from a patient's life or perhaps even treating the asymptomatic shedder with a vaccine injury protocol significantly helps the patient themselves get well too. And here the author notes that many of these observations have been repeatedly noted within the hundreds of comments that he received. On the susceptibility question, the author notes that sensitivity to shedding, as you might suspect, folks, varies immensely. At this point, he says, I believe the majority of people who are being affected by shedding either already know it, or if they don't, they will be by the time they complete this article. And all of this is important because one of the major fears everyone who is unvaccinated has is whether or not they are at risk from vaccinated shedders. And in general, he says, there seem to be three categories of people who are susceptible to shedding. The first are sensitive patients, which tend to have either a sensitivity to toxins in their environment, or perhaps they're very empathetic, perceptive of subtle qualities others don't notice, or they have an ectomorph or sattvic constitution. And there are some other more technical terms that they've also noticed a correlation among those individuals. Due to these susceptibilities, he says, these patients frequently have chronic illnesses, MCS or multiple chemical sensitivities or EMF sensitivities, Lyme disease, mold toxicity, fibromyalgia, and so forth. They were more likely to avoid the COVID vaccine due to previous bad experiences with pharmaceuticals to begin with and more likely to be chronically debilitated by the COVID vaccine if they did take it. He also says that many of these sensitivities seem to be the result of what's called CDR or cell danger response being activated and then failing to turn it off. While conversely, treating the CDR is often very beneficial to these patients. And those that are most susceptible to shedding, I've seen numerous reports of individuals, can often immediately tell if they're even around individuals who have been vaccinated because they can immediately feel a toxic presence or notice some of the symptomatic effects from the shedder shortly thereafter. The second category of patients are those who have been sensitized to the spike protein due to perhaps a previous vaccine injury or long COVID. And these patients frequently find their symptoms worsen when they're around individuals who were vaccinated. And many have reported that their sensitivity to shedding actually increases over time. Finally, he says, don't forget that the spike protein itself is an allergen that's highly effective at creating autoimmunity in the body, which could also explain why successive exposure causes it to increase one's sensitivity. Finally, the third are the class of people who cannot effectively produce antibodies to the spike protein. Initially, says the author, I was clued into this after I saw a study of vaccinated patients who develop myocarditis. They're unable to develop a neutralizing antibody for the spike protein, with the result that a large amount of free spike protein circulating in their own blood, which would normally be bound to an antibody, is thus able to create havoc throughout their bodies, and those patients become symptomatic after being exposed to a much lower level or concentration of the spike protein than most. Which leads to an interesting observation too. At the time of the disaster disastrous smallpox campaign says the author many clinicians believe that those with a weakened immune system could not mount a response to the vaccine and they were in turn both more likely to be injured by the vaccine and to catch smallpox both before and after vaccination which led them to argue that the vaccine's so-called efficacy may be nothing more than an artifact or a proxy for having a functioning immune system And the author suggests there may be something similar going on with this poison poke, too. Surprise, surprise.